Welcome in everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast at Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. Before we get started today, I'd love to remind you, if you like what we do, please leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends wherever you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, all of the places where you can find fine podcast content. You can find Kyle and I. You can also connect with us on social media at LonghornPod. On Twitter, you can shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, The Longhorn Republic there. Well, my name is Gerald Goodridge. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by the man, the myth, the legend, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? Uh, I am fantastic, Gerald. This is a... uh... This is a wonderful day. Folks are hearing this. We are, uh, we are, we've seen each other in person. This is a good week. We have Christmas a week away when you're listening to this. It's, it's literally the most wonderful time of the year, man. I, I couldn't be better, Gerald. How are you feeling? You know, um, as most people are listening to this, I'm currently in the great state of Texas, uh, or maybe I'm on my way out of the great state of Texas. Either way, I'm feeling good. Uh, I'm ready to, ready to do some, some fun stuff with you in Houston for about uh, what is it like fourteen hours or so? Absolutely, it'll be uh, it'll be a good time for all those uh, who who can who can join us there. I know we have some listeners nodding their heads fiercely. If you want to get on the super secret inside events of Gerald and myself, just you know tweet at us and invite us to uh, to your events. We're a very meager like you know I think what's our sixty seventy five thousand right now speaking fee whatever we'll figure all that out talk to our lawyers or our people um, we'll figure that out but no no we uh, we we are excited anytime we are asked to uh, to share our our fun opinions for anyone who listen that is uh, sixty or seventy thousand bot is the I think uh, <laughs> the conversion rate so I'm I'm googling the lowest conversion rates in the world uh, so <laughs> if you can, if you buy me a package of crackers and find a way to get me there I'll basically do your event um so we're gonna we're gonna preview the utah utes uh i by the way bot is I, something in asia i'm not sure but whatever it's fine uh so we're gonna preview the utah utes today we've got uh we've got our friends over at Block thailand League. gerald thailand thailand ah yeah. man i messed that up and so now we have the distinct pleasure of welcoming in uh managing editor of block U, shane roberts to help us uh preview the utah utes as they close in on the alamo bowl and shane how are you doing tonight trying to stay warm guys thanks for having me on well hopefully we'll have plenty of hot takes to help with that tonight no kyle and i are not really hot takes guys but yeah thank you so much uh for for taking some time out uh so we we do this in the off season kind of every team that's on texas's schedule we kind of do like a 12 week uh preview where we bring on the people that know them better than Kyle and I do because, again, Kyle and I are just good at what we do and other people are better. So uh, we're going to take the opportunity now because we've got a couple of weeks until the bowl game. And so we wanted to bring you on um, to, to give us a little bit of preview of the Utah Utes. And so I'm just going to go and pick the scab uh, early. Man, the first opportunity uh, a lot of people had to watch Utah, unfortunately, uh, was that that Pac-12 championship game, which seemed like kind of a really aberration for them kind of out of the norm. They've been an incredible team up until that point. So, um, and what, I guess the, the, the no other way to say it, like what happened and how did Oregon kind of put them so off kilter? I mean, that's kind of a million dollar question, but they, they it was kind of the perfect storm um, in my humble opinion. 
Um, I felt like Utah played extremely tight in that championship game. They kind of had everything on the table, um, potential college football playoff berth, um, at least a Rose Bowl, to where Oregon, win or lose, could potentially just went to the Rose Bowl either way. Um, so they played rather loose. They 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 really screwed up two weeks prior against or- Arizona State, where obviously Utah was riding the high. Schematically, um, the th- it's kind of tricky just because what I, what I observed was specifically offensively for the Utes, what you, where Utah's weakness has been periodically through the season is the offensive line, especially picking up pass rush and rush um, and run blitzes generally um, get, keeping guys out of the backfield. And that's, kind of what Oregon just did. They just brought the heat continuously, and, and Utah's offensive line had a hard time picking that up for long stretches of time. Um, Tyler Huntley throughout the season has done a really nice job improvising and making plays on the fly. Um, then the offensive line would have, you know, a quarter, quarter and a half, two quarters of really good football, and then they'd have a series or two of just boneheaded plays. Um, and early on in that game, Utah, Utah lived in Oregon territory for a large chunk of that game. But they couldn't pick up third ones and fourth and ones, and eventually momentum just started to swing. Defensively, um, it was kind of a multi-pronged thing. I think the I'm never surprised when a team goes down and scores on Utah early in a game, it's because Utah's really, really good at adjustments from quarter to quarter and going from the coming out of halftime. So whenever a team scores ten, even fourteen points. Fairly early on, I usually don't worry about it because Utah usually gets locked down. But the problem is, is Utah lost starting safety Julian Blackman in the second mm-hmm. quarter. Um, and Blackman is, he's basically an all-American safety. Um, one of Utah's best defenders on the field, period. And a lot of or- Oregon's big plays came when there should have been a safety there to kind of negate any big play like that. And what really made it even worse is his backup, R.J. Hubert, went down a few plays later, um, and he's also out for the Alamo Bowl. So the two, the one and two starting safety were out of the game. So they couldn't really mop up, you know, be a safety. Um, the the backbreaker for the Utes of that game was the 70-yard touchdown run by C.J. Verdell. Um, that is the, the textbook play that Julian Blackman would just completely wipe out. Um, then I also kind of felt like the defensive line started to press a little bit. Um, almost like they needed to make, compensate for the loss of Julian, try to get more pressure than they needed to. And even Coach Whittingham said after the game that, you know, Oregon didn't do anything that's too surprising. Um, Utah was schematically ready for it, but everybody was trying to make their plays every per, or trying to make the big play, trying to, you know, be on Sports Center. They were trying to win the game by themselves. And with a team like Oregon, who's got just a bunch of dudes that run 4-2, 4-3-40s, if you're out of position, they'll be gone in no time. Um, I mean, that's the ultimate game where I really wish we could have a mulligan on that one. Um, just to, to your guys' point, if you would have watched the Pac-12 or even the season-long um, all season, both Utah and Oregon, I, and to this day, obviously this is probably me just being a homer, but I still think Utah's the better team of the two teams. And if you just watch the comparative results between the two teams, Oregon struggled in Pac-12 play. They had to have a last-second field goal to beat Washington State. Um, they they squeaked by um, Washington. They 
obviously they blast USC, but there was a lot of games there that they squeaked out. They lost to Arizona State um, down in Tempe, where Utah blasted all these teams. Utah had an average margin of victory of 29 points after losing to USC. Um, Oregon just didn't look right for most of the season. Obviously, they figured out that championship game. So I, w- I really wish it was like a best of three type of scenario. Um, but it is what it is. They are better on that day. And now we're we're going to S- San Antonio instead of uh, Pasadena. And, and a, a significantly, significantly better city to visit. I've been to both. I'm from San Antonio. So let me just tell you, the Mexican food is exponentially better in San Antonio. So you really got the better end of the deal. Don't don't worry about that. Okay, well, we'll take that as a confirmation. <laughs> uh, but I don't want to focus just on the championship game, right? Because I think that was a game, like you said, out of a season. It may have been an aberration. There could have been some things um, that if, if they had a chance to do it 10 times, maybe only two or three times as it go a certain way. So outside um, of, of that game, um, you know, when we zoom out a bit, uh, you look at that, that team um, in this season and, and the offense was, was, was good. The defense was great. But when you look at the offense, Zach Moss is a name that jumps off the page. The running game seemed to kind of uh, pace what you did as a team. You average more than hundred yards a game. Um, how was he able to be so consistent uh, across this season on the ground? Well, I mean, Zach's kind of been like that ever since he's been on campus. He, he uh, is almost, I think he can, if if he has a big game against Texas, I think he can break 4,000 yards for his career. Hmm. Um, so he's, but he's a thousand yard back year in and year out outside of his freshman year. I think he had like 700 yards or something like that. Um, so he's, he's very reliable, very productive. He's hard to bring down. He has great patience. Um he's just kind of a good all around back. And it also helps that this season that Tyler Huntley um, and the passing game has been a lot more effective. So you couldn't necessarily load the box against him. I know there were some PAC 12 games, uh, Colorado specifically to where they were putting eight, seven, eight, nine guys in the box, you know, daring just saying, please beat us over through the air. And Tyler did that. And Zach Kind of, once they started to loosen up, then Zach started to gash him. Um, he's one of those backs that he's really good at cutting back. There, He had a great play against Oregon that really kind of highlighted this, where he was running to the right, and the entire defense just went to the right with him. And then he just looked to the left, and it was just all green. And he took off for about a 40- or 50-yard gain. Um, and he has – he has I don't, I don't want to say he has one of those in him per game, but he has one of those type of runs each game to where – He's supposed to be pulled down for a four, five, six yard loss, and then all of a sudden he finds 20, 30, 40 yards. He's just kind of a different level back. Um, he has good speed. He's very powerful, um, and he's just hard to bring down. I, I don't have the stat in front of me, but I'm pretty sure he leads the country in yards after contact um, just because he'll get hit at the line of scrimmage or behind the line of scrimmage a lot, and he'll spin out of it. Mm-hmm. And then before you know it, he, you know he's picking up yards of what should have been a loss. So. He just keeps the offense on time and on schedule. Um, so you very rarely, I mean, the Pac-12 championship aside, you very rarely see three and outs from Utah. It's extremely rare just because they're always running on second and five, third and two, or they're having big first down plays. And Zach is just kind of the, he, he's the focus behind all that. He sets everything up and he's just hard to bring down. He's just, a he's really compact um, and he's just, He's just a beast, man. He'll just he'll he will truck stick anybody that gets in his way, and um, I, I, he's he's really fun to watch. I like. 
I'm going to miss that dude. You, uh, you saying that he's a cutback artist is giving me all sorts of consternation because uh, Texas hasn't done great against holding a backside contained, especially now that uh, our coaching staff is in upheaval, so that makes me sad. Uh, and you mentioned in there Huntley's ability to kind of uh, make some throws this year that he hadn't in the past. Um and, and outside of the conference championship game, man, he had an incredible season. He put up really good numbers uh, and turned the ball over just twice heading into that game. Uh, so what is it about his his development as a player or is it a scheme change? Or like just what what has kind of allowed him to make that jump uh, from year to year and, and be a guy that can really open things up for, for the Utes? Um, I would say largely it's a lot of scheme change. Utah brought back offensive coordinator Andy Ludwig. Um, Ludwig was the coordinator that the Utes had in that Sugar Bowl season, you know, 11 years ago. Um, they brought him back, and it was kind of a match made in heaven between him and Tyler. See, the, the problem with Huntley is you could see flashes of what he could do his first two years starting, um, but he would get he would get happy feet, and he would want to break the pocket the moment anything would start to break down. Um, what we started to see this year is really starting – probably right after that USC game, the happy feet went away and he started looking downfield and he started trusting the dudes on the outside. He started trusting Zach Moss. Um, and I think a lot of that had to do with coaching, just basically saying, Hey man, keep your head up. If you keep your head up, you're going to take that two or three yard scramble you're getting and where you're getting just, just blasted and give it off to one of these wide receivers and let them get you 10 yards, let them get you 15 yards, or maybe they'll bust one. Um, so he just had complete buy-in into the system He's always been a really accurate quarterback. Um, I mean, I keep seeing stats go out on Twitter the last little while uh, of how Joe Burrow, obviously rightfully so, winning the Heisman Trophy, but Joe Burrow being in a, in contention for breaking completion percentage records and yards per attempt. But if you look about two names below Joe Burrow, you'll see Tyler Huntley. Um, Huntley's completing about 80% of his balls on the season. He's completing, I want to say, like 76, 77% of his passes. Um, he has one of the top five, I believe, QBRs in the country. Um, he's averaging about 12 yards per completion. So if you go look at these stats, you'll see Joe Burrow, but you'll see Tyler Huntley not far behind him. Um, now, he's not throwing the ball around 40 or 50 times a game, but he's going to throw it around 25 times, and he's going to be extremely efficient, and he's going to go over the top on you, especially when you start cheating up on Zach Moss. He's going to try to beat you deep, and then if he finds a way to break contain and break a pocket and um, – all of a sudden a DB turns their head, you're going to see a tight end or a wide receiver running behind you. And then he's just going to loop it up there for somebody to make the play. So he's extremely opportunistic. Um, he's very smart. Um, he, he's really fun to watch play. A lot of people were comparing him to kind of a, and obviously this is extremely lofty praise, um, but a lot of people were comparing him to like a baby Lamar Jackson. He doesn't have Lamar Jackson's speed, but mm. he'll, he'll use his legs to extend the play. And then he'll make the right throw at the right time, and he'll be very accurate doing it in general. Obviously, the Pac-12 championship aside. Obviously, as Texas fans, we're, we're curious right here. We've talked about the offense, but when you think of Utah, you think about the defense. And, in fact, we, we really for about, I don't know, a minute and a half just thought because we like to get ourselves in a tizzy. We might even get the defensive coordinator might come to Texas and save us. Um, he, the guy never leaves Utah. We all knew that. Gerald and I knew that wasn't realistic. Can you can you confirm that he's only left the state for road games and recruiting trips? Because we've, we've reported, reported that. that. Well, he, I, I can tell you, I can tell you this right now that he spends a lot of time in Texas, but probably not for reasons that you wish he was there for. <laughs> Fair enough. That, the recruiting trips, right? He, that, those. That... Yep. He lives in te- he lives in Texas to recruit. Uh, it makes sense, and it's it's a it's a good place to be. So I I understand, but. Uh, 
um, to think practically about about his unit. That defense um, was very, very good yet again. Um, h- however, um, we could talk a little bit about the season, but I, I'm more curious about the, um, you alluded to it earlier, um, the people who aren't going to be there. So in the bowl game, uh, you'll be without, you, know, you mentioned Julian Blackman, who, who leads the team in interceptions, potential first-round pick Jalen Johnson at quarterback, um, and, and Blackman's backup. You know, it's it safety RJ uh, Huber, and and so just kind of ask who who steps up, and I mean, do you see a, a you obviously have a great coordinator? Do you see um, a way that he can kind of scheme around that? Texas did have a dynamic offense for most of the season, um, and especially in the passing game. So, um, do you have any any worries about how the defense responds? Uh, I mean, I do. I mean, when you're losing, especially Blackman and Johnson like that, I mean, those are two studs that are just going to be absolutely borderline impossible to replace especially you know after playing 13 games already this season Mm. um but for the utes um the thing that has made this this particular unit so special is they've had playmakers at all three levels um so frankly for at least the last 25 to 30 years that kyle whittingham has been at utah in some capacity it all starts up front um so utah's defensive line um it is, and I think I believe it at least that they're they're the best in the country, and I believe all those guys are are planning to play. There was some curiosity of obviously in the new world order of bowl games as of probably about the last four or five years. The question is who's going to play, who's not going to play. Um, Johnson, Jalen, obviously decided he's not going to play, but a lot of about three or four of those off defensive linemen will also have NFL paychecks waiting for them. And it sounds like they're going to suit up and give it a shot, which just, I absolutely love to see these guys one more time. So it all starts up front with those guys and creating pressure on the quarterback and shutting down all running lanes. That's first and foremost versus mm-hmm. any offense that Utah's going to play is make them one dimensional, make them beat you through the air. Um, so that comes back to your question: Who's going to step step up? Well, Utah still got two pretty solid corners on the outside, and T- Tariq Lewis and Josh Nurse. Um, those guys have been rotated in pretty consistently. Um, so they're they're really good players. Are they Jalen Johnson? No. When Jalen was on the field, you could pretty much say, "Okay, that side of the field shut down." Right. Um, the the concern a little bit is at safety because there's going to be some untrusted guys rotating in to Julian's spot. Um, Terrell Burgess is the other safety. He's really good. Um, he's got a senior bowl invite as well. Um, so I'm not worried about him, but the, who's the dude next to him? Um, how are they going to flex that in? Who? How are they going to do that? So that's the million-dollar question. Um, and that's the one that we're all kind of holding our breaths for is because um, Utah plays press man coverage. They're going to line up and say, beat us. Um, that's just kind of what they do, and that's what they've done for 20 years. Um, so who's going to be that that – that's guy that's going to fill in and make sure that they don't get beat o- over the top time and time again. Um, Texas is going to make some plays down the field. And I think uh, every Utah fan acknowledges that um, we're not scared to give up some yards. The, the key is to keep them out of the end zone. And I think that's where the guys up front, the defensive line, trying to create some havoc, try to keep Texas behind the chains. Um, and then hopefully at some point um, the ball goes up for grabs and somebody can come down with it, but it's, it's going to be a challenge for, that next safety to rotate in and get some good quality reps. Uh, Texas <laughs> behind the chains is terrifying. I, I just having flashbacks to nine sacks uh, against OU. Uh, so a guy that, that kind of hits on that sore spot or whatever 
PTSD uh, is Bradley and I, who's been just an absolute force this season, 12 and a half sacks, which is just nuts. Um, now, what is, is it his motor? Is it his skill set? Is it a scheme thing? Is it the defensive backs are able to force people to hold the ball for 10, 12 seconds and he gets back there? Like, what's going on? Because 12 and a half sacks is a big freaking number. Well, it's kind of all the above. Um, he's very fast um, and he's kind of got every move in the arsenal. Um, so he'll come at you a million different ways. Um, the the one play, it wasn't even really a play that I loved in the Pac-12 championship game. So him and um, Penny Sewell were going up against each other in the Pac-12 championship game. Mm-hmm. And of course, if anybody knows Sewell, he won the outlet trophy. Yeah. Uh, he's also a Utah kid, which breaks my heart. Um, but, but him and Bradley were going head to head and I could tell that Bradley was getting to him a little bit because um, he had Sewell jumping off sides a few times. Um, and you could tell that, Bradley's got an incredible first step. Um, there, there was, um, I can't remember which game it was. I, I'm, it was the BYU game. It was the first game of the season. Um, he was basically in the backfield as the ball was snapping, and he got, came around and caused a, uh, it was a pick six, pick six actually. Because he made the quarterback step up in the pocket, force a ball, and it was picked. Um, so he's got pretty much every tool in the tool belt. He's very talented. He's very fast. Um, but then, yeah, I mean, to your point, when you have DBs on the back end that make the quarterback hold the ball for that, you know, that extra half second, then you can get home. Um, so the, the question is, you know, how much does that impact the pass rush and can the DBs just kind of give, you, you know, that extra half second so they can get home. And Bradley has some pretty, he has some motivation in this game too. He's actually, I think a half sack or a sack away from the all time record at Utah. Um, and that's a set and that's a record that he's been eyeballing forever um so that's something that he's going to be going for pretty heavily um, he's very motivated and i'm really curious to see you, you know you look at the stats against oregon they gave up 200 yards rushing which is an absolute anomaly but it came 100 of those yards came on two plays um so i'd imagine that those guys kind of have a bad taste in their mouth and they'd like to get that out hopefully they have the motivation motivation to do so and it all starts not only with bradley and i but you know if you look on the other side of the defensive line you have uh, lecky Fotu. Uh, who's just a double team magnet. Um, he pretty much has to be double teamed on any given play just because he's just a massive ma- uh, massive man that just uh, commands attention. And there's usually about at least him and, you know, John Penasini next to him, he's usually commanding a double team. So very rarely can you just double or uh, very, very rarely can you double an eye. Uh, you might have to chip him. Um, so he more often than not has one-on-one coverage on that outside and he can just pin his ears back. And like we said earlier, if if you're behind the chains, um, yeah, that's when he starts to salivate, as any good pass rusher does. So, I mean, I, I think there's a, a lot of great stuff in there, and you clearly know Utah football as good as any human being I've ever talked to, so I'm excited. I feel like we could keep you all night. But I, I am curious, this one right here, because you mentioned a name, Gerald and I have a long-standing theory that team is better and it gets a multiplier of whatever percentage better with the amount of Samoan and Samoan heritage players that they have on their team. How many Samoans are on the, you don't have to give me an exact number, but you can swag it if, if you, if you feel on this Utah roster this year, I know every year you have, you have a good amount. How many, how many uh, Samoans this year? Well, I'm not sure what the exact ratio is right now, but I know a few years ago they said that about a third of the team was white. About a third of the team was African-American. About a third of the team was Polynesian. Wow. Uh, and that pipeline, it, it's huge. I mean, 
I think pretty much anybody in the Western United States probably has some sort of pipeline mm. to the Polynesian community. I mean, it's it's huge here in in Utah just because for any number of reasons, obviously there's the, the LDS church and stuff like that. There's a, mm. a large tie-in with that. Um, and then also, obviously, you're seeing uh, Tua Tagovailoa, you know, in, in, in Alabama and his younger brother. So it's starting to kind of prolif- proliferate farther east. Um, but yeah, that, that's a huge deal to the Utes. Uh, they have oh, probably at least two or three Polynesians on the, on the coaching staff. Um, nice. and, and that's kind of the, the unique thing with the, not only Utah, but um, a lot of the programs actually around the state, you know, Utah, BYU and Utah state, they're actually all kind of uh, Utah coaching trees. Um, the Polynesian culture is extremely family-based um so once a family really determines that hey these guys are going to treat my kid right you know not unlike you know so many other places but polynesians are extremely loyal um so that pipeline is really hard to break um and once you establish one you you know it's a huge deal and those guys are hungry um they're going to come they just have a motor that very few football players have they're just going to go get everything i mean a few years ago, USC um, had a mm. Stevie Tui Fulaku. Um, he was two or three on Utah's depth chart, and he went and started at USC. Right. He actually had a cup of coffee in the NFL. He might still be in the NFL. Uh, but but these guys, they're huge, and they're very crucial to Utah's success. And um, I can't wait to see the names that they're bringing in this upcoming recruiting class. That's for sure. Kyle and I definitely, you know, we, we say that partially in jest, but Texas really benefited from that, that family connection that you talked about with uh, Baltimore Raven guard, Patrick Vahe, his, his cousin, Tione Lang, uh, Angelou Jr. is now uh, just literally stepped into the same spot that Vahe played for four years at Texas and is projecting to be a four year starter. So uh, Texas definitely benefiting from that yeah like the low two leleys at utah obviously you know star got drafted in the first yeah. round lowell he got drafted as well then he decided to retire from football there's another low two lele that's signing with utah this coming uh, i think he's signing this week um it's just one of those things it's like yeah same thing with the Sewells, like in oregon um his younger brother um again just right up the road here a five-star linebacker he's gonna go to oregon too um and that one just absolutely just hurts but i think it i don't think that it's their no, it's one of his brothers. One of his brothers ended up here after transferring from, uh, I can't remember where he transferred in from. Um, but yeah, just once you kind of get these guys, right? Um, then it can kind of just be just, just a pipeline. That's fantastic. So that's, that's kind of the note. We've talked some football. We like to end these interviews with a little bit less, and that was a perfect segue as we kind of talked the transition from football to the stuff that's just on the adjacent side of the football game. So if you're ready and you're willing, we like to do a couple rapid fire questions and you can unbutton the top button for this one uh, and just enjoy yourself a little bit if uh, if you're game. All right, so I will start things off, Gerald, if you don't mind. Uh, dying to know, uh, what is the most, or I'll give you options, which is the more stereotypical Utah food? Fry sauce or green jello, and maybe with things inside that green jello. Oh man, I think fry sauce is disgusting for the record. Oh, okay. Uh, um, I don't know if you can say fry sauce is stereotypical anymore because you kind of see it all over the country, it just comes in different names now. Yeah, 
um, like I see mayo chip from uh, from Heinz and right. like, Utahns are like, what the hell is this? <laughs> um, so I would have to say the the green the green Jello that has usually has like carrots in it or, or yeah. something crazy like that. So okay, yeah, that, that, I'd say that's probably the most stereotypical. And I'll offer you one chance to redeem the entire state. Is there some other food that us outsiders don't know that's delicious that every Utahan knows and you're just keeping a secret? Because neither of those sound exactly a, a world beating. Oh man. That's tough. Um, I don't know if Utah's known for a specific dish. You know, obviously, like you know, Texas and all those areas really known for barbecue, right? And, uh, stuff like that. There's just a lot of really good transplants that have come to Utah that just okay. do just excellent stuff. We have a place here that does some um, some fried ch- from some. Tennessee fried chicken. That's absolutely delicious. Gotcha. Um, a lot of Mexican restaurants around here are really, really good. Um, I wish we were known for a dish um, because we think about that. A lot. We talk about that with my coworkers all the time. It's like, what, what's Utah known for other than fry sauce? Yeah. Um, it's just a lot of transplants bringing a lot of other stuff. We have a gotcha. ton of Californians here and all right. kinds of stuff like that. So it's the welcoming culture. You bring it all in. So I'll, I'll, I'll put a bow on it. Well, maybe, <laughs> you know, uh, kind of circle back. Maybe it's Polynesian food. Um, there you go. Yeah, I, I mean, it, whether you're around the football facility or there's a lot of little Polynesian restaurants around town that you can find um, that are turning into chains and stuff like that, you know, Polynesian food might be kind of one of those things that might be semi-unique. One of the things that that, uh, that we've done in this series, it's kind of a dumb take on a, on a slumber party game. We'll call it Bed, Wed, or Dead, based around some famous people from the state of the person we're interviewing. Uh, so three the three names we chose, Donnie Osmond, Steve Young, Wilford Brimley. Bed, Wed, or Dead? Is Wilford Brimley even alive still? Because um, that, that might auto-fill for that one. Um, bed, Wed, or Dead? Um, Steve Young's a BYU guy. Um, <laughs> um, so I don't know about that. I mean, Dosmi- Donnie Osmond, maybe. I, I mean, I kind of think you have to go wed with that one. I think that one's kind of a layup. Uh, <laughs> Wolford Brimley is still with us, by the way. 85 years young, yeah. Gosh, good for him, man. <laughs> um, a bed. Um, you know, Steve Young's a good looking dude, though. Uh, we can, we can bed him. And then dead. I mean, Wilford. I mean, let's be real. The the diabetes is going to set in at some point. So I'd have to say that's probably dead on that one. That's that's fantastic. We we do love the the diabetes commercials, but uh, Gerald also showed me, and I won't steal your thunder, Gerald. The uh, older than Wilford Brimley in in Cocoon Twitter handle. If you're not familiar, ah, just. Wonderful, but also makes you feel very, very, very. Oh, same thing. I, I don't think Steve Young is from Utah, though. He's just spent his college years here. Um, I'm not sure where he's from. He came up on a list of famous Utahns yeah. that I googled. That's so, hey, that's fair. Very extensive research. Well, you can throw Holly Rowe in there if you want because she's a Utah Ute and she's lovely. She's a big time Utah Ute. She's as supportive of the program as anybody. I'd wed her in a heartbeat. She is. <laughs> freaking delightful see that's a softball that's why we couldn't use her because i think we all would she is a an absolute gem so go to the opposite side of the spectrum when you think holly Rowe, you think smiles sunshine wonderful someone you just um you know hold the door open for because you, you you feel the sunshine as she walks by a man who's a little bit more intense shares my name I wish I shared his work ethic. Kyle Whittingham, there's been the story out of the bowl game pressers. I'm not sure if you saw this, but 4,000 days worked out 
in a row. First of all, that's unbelievable. I just, I, I can't wrap my mind around it. But I have to ask you, good sir, is what do you think that you could do? What's the one thing that you could do for 11 years straight? Outside of like wake up and eat breakfast? Um, <laughs> 11 years straight. Oh, man, that's, I mean, Coach Witt's one of those, <laughs> he's just so regimented that, I, he, he's said a million times. I mean, this is not news for us around here. I, every time he comes to a press conference, he's usually got a little bit of a sweat going on. And he's <laughs> usually, he's usually kind of ticked off because he had to finish his workout to come to the press conference. Um, I'm not that regimented. Um, I don't even know what I'm doing in like 20 minutes, let alone what I'm going to be doing tomorrow. Um, I'm going to have to, I, I don't know on that one. My guy, my, my friends, it's just, seven, <laughs> 11 years straight. That's, it's, that's crazy. It's a tough one. I'll take your breakfast, and here's what I'll say. Even if you haven't done it, we can all start our life and try to be a little bit more like Kyle Whittingham and say, you know what? I am going to eat breakfast every day because Kyle can swim, do the elliptical, lift weights, and run every day. I can take that fork to mouth and, and, and finish my grits. Well, that's one of the, the best parts of having uh, Michael Leach in the Pac-12 is somebody asked him the question, like, which coach would you take in a fight? And then he said Kyle Whittingham and probably Mario Cristobal because th- those dudes look like they bench press somebody. And, <laughs> yeah, Kyle's not one of those guys. Like, if you see him on the sideline ticked off, um, it strikes the fear of God into my heart because that is a dude that you do not want mad at you. I see that. Somebody has a Twitter account that's called at Coach Witt Cavs because his calves are about the size of a pickup truck. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the dude's a machine. I love that guy. Uh, man, thank you so much for uh, for taking some time, Kyle. Do you have another one? Uh, I mean, no, I, I'm good. Basically, all I was going to ask is if if my last one in the back of my mind was if uh, you could be honest with us. We're all friends here. There's only a few hundreds of thousands of people listening to this podcast. Um, have you ever worn Keith Van Horn level socks outside of the house? As a as a young basketball player, absolutely. <laughs> Are you kidding me? You better you better cross yourself when you say the name Keith Van Horn. That that dude is a legend. Um, Trust me, I agree with you. I I I am not from Utah. And I agree with growing you. Growing up in in rural Utah as a Utah fan, who absolutely broke down in tears after that national championship game. By the way, that was a year after Keith. Um, yeah, if you if you didn't have knee si- knee high socks, at least myself, and I felt like I was just doing the man a disservice. That's that's it. That's the answer I wanted. I'm glad to hear that. That was my hope i had no data to back that up that was a gut question (laughs) if i could i would wear them to work every single day in john stockton shorts i would not (laughs) be scared to do that oh and that beautiful visual man that's i love it (laughs) that's the high point (laughs) man okay so i don't know how how i forgot about this but one of my college football moments of the year was tyler huntley after the holy war this year um who who guaranteed that they will never lose to BYU again and confirmed it by saying they so poo-poo, which is just my favorite quote of the year. Uh, so it, <laughs> what is one thing that you are that confident about that you would go in front of the media and say that they will never lose again because they so poo-poo? That will never lose to BYU again? They've had multiple chances to get us, and now that we're kind of at the level that we're at, um, the two programs are going in just completely opposite directions. I mean, it's a fine, cute school down there, but um just the talent like the maddening thing for utah fans at least around the state of utah um is this perception of hashtag talent gap i mean utah is going to have six seven guys drafted in the nfl this year and i think byu's had six seven guys drafted over the last 15 years 
so <laughs> for, for them to win this game, um, it's all, it's the season opener again next year. Um, if they don't win next year, they're not going to win for 15 years. I um, mean, they've already lost nine in a row. They haven't won since. Actually, the funny thing is about that 4,000 consecutive day workouts from Kyle Whittingham. We're pretty sure that correlates with the last time Utah lost to BYU, which was in 2009. Uh so it's this has been a decade that BYU has not beat Utah. Wow. Um, and the talent gap's getting wider and wider and wider. And um, Utah's getting to a recruit. Obviously, they're not you know pulling in recruits like Oregon or Alabama or anybody like that. But they're top 30, top 25, top 20 recruiting base where BYU's top 60. Um, so, I mean, it, just between the two, it's, it's chess versus checkers. Um, they're just – I would be shocked if BYU beats Utah – anytime within the next 10 years. There you go. Well, Shane, thank you so much for taking some time out. Man, if people want some more from you, where can they find you on the internet? Just join us over at blockyou.com. Um, got me and some guys over there putting up some stuff. Uh, just kind of, we haven't jumped into bowl game prep yet just because we're just so, we're still kind of sad and depressed. And I'm pretty sure most of us are probably still hungover and just absolutely at the bottom of a bottle. So we probably will still be there for about another week and a half. But once we've come out of that, then we'll be all over the Alamo Bowl and um, playing Texas for the second time in program history. That's kind of a that's crazy to me that the two programs haven't met more than that. Um, just intersecting on the West Coast like this. So um, I think it's a cool matchup for us Utah fans um, to have um, a name program like Texas to play in a bowl game. Obviously, we wish we were in the Rose Bowl. We wish we were in the college football playoff. Um, but all things considered, you know, playing texas in a bowl game it could be a lot worse love it well thanks again but we're, we're excited for it um i'd like to see this played more regularly at least um continue to fill the schedule with teams that aren't a&m that are actually on the rise so i would like to see uh if del conti can get on that that'd be great uh man shade thank you so much for taking some time out man have a fantastic fantastic time have a great holiday and i can't wish you too much luck in the bowl game oh, sure you <laughs> we wish you health and no luck. <laughs> well, that's fair. I can take that. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks. All right. So coming out of that fantastic interview, um, we're now going to bring it less uh, on our opponents and back home to the Burnt Orange with everyone's favorite segment of the week, Burnt Orange Lenses. And we're going to start, I think, a, uh, a a pretty good place to to do so, the high school Texas football state championships um, did not go exactly the way that the Longhorns would have wanted. However, um, we we were close to in the final four seeing a a championship that featured Hudson Card versus Quinton Jackson, our two quarterback recruits. Which what a cool thing for Texas even to have that be a possibility. Uh, however, Hudson Card led a valiant comeback, really tried to turn the ties after going down to North Shore, one of the best teams in the country. Um, was able to, was unable to get the fourth quarter comeback all the way through and then on the other side unfortunately uh coach samples uh did win the game but in the process lost uh texas uh, four-star recruit and starting quarterback and just mr all world we had just posted a a tweet of uh, or a clip excuse me of his uh really electric touchdown run in that game and then uh, suffered a knee injury that will keep him out of the championship game. So we went from having two to unfortunately having zero uh, quarterbacks playing in the, the Texas uh, high school football state championship final. Yeah. And, and I mean, it's, 
North Shore is a uh, is a force. I mean, Zach Evans showed up like 17 seconds before kickoff because he was taking the ACT, uh, and and so like. There's nothing you can do about a guy that can come out cold and just rocky like that. Um, and it's fine as he's not going to AM, so it's all good in the hood. That is that is great news. You're absolutely right. Um, so for the guys on campus, we did have some some news that was uh, not quite as great, but uh, we 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 fully embrace the student and athlete portion. So we choose to celebrate the the student part of it and the rest of his life. But Max Cummins, who I loved in this video um, that he announced, he said, my name is Rob. Some people call me Max. You can call me whatever. It just shows he's a pretty chill guy. Um, after years of fighting injury after injury after injury since coming on the 40 acres, uh, officially medically retired from football and announced that um, with, a, uh, with a video that he put together. Um, just kind of showing where he spent a lot of his time, sadly, the training room, but just in the locker room um, with three-year career at UT. Never really got to see him, which is unfortunate. Um, you know, you, you always see these guys when they're when they're prospects and you see their tape and you think, picture the career that they could uh, they could have. And it's always, uh, always unfortunate when that doesn't pan out, but wish the best to him. In the next level, however, we had some good stuff going on in the NFL. Uh, we did have a, a fun game this week. I always like to hone in on one game that has a, long, a lot of Longhorn flavor, and that week it happened to be Houston versus former Houston. Um, as we call them here in town, the uh, the fleeing traders, the, uh, the Tennessee Titans um, of Nashville. Um, and they do have a, uh, a Longhorn great on in their secondary. Kenny Vaccaro had a pick six against the Texans. Uh, made it look like, you know what, the Titans may just get this one. However, in that game, the the final like seal the deal play from the Texans defense to put it away was a Charles Omenehu sack of, again, fighting Texas Aggie, Ryan Tannehill to seal the victory for the good guys. Gerald, great, great NFL. A- anytime we get to see a Texas player uh, make an incredible play uh, to put his team in position to win and then win the game against an A&M player, um, man, it just, it's, it's, it's just such a good feeling. I'm right there with you. Um, so speaking of, uh, of feeling good, if you are a fan of blocks, and you watch the NBA, there's a good chance you've seen some Longhorns just denying uh, denying shots around the rim. I did a little look at the numbers. So the Texas men's basketball alumni accounts for six of the top 34 block artists. Again, there's, there's, there's not uh, too many more than 34 uh, players if you just have one big guy per team. They are, they are basically the dudes who say you can't do that you can't come here seats taken so number four miles turner just i think point two off the the nba lead lamarcus aldridge in the top 10 uh fantastic uh one of the lone bright spots for the spurs mo bamba uh and jared allen both in the top 25 tristan thompson number 30 and then the rookie jackson hayes who's getting more and more uh playing time every game growing into his role basically doing what he did in college in the nba being a freak athletically and just if it's on the offensive side he jumps high if it's on the defensive side he also jumps high <laughs> and he just does that real well there's nothing else to say other than uh jared allen both is uh in the top 25 in blocks and um 
Kevin Durant shoved the mess out of Kyrie Irving after one of uh, after one of Jarrett's dunks this week. So uh, I love my favorite thing in the world is NBA sideline dunk celebrations, uh, and that one was just so subtle. It was it was just incredible. Yeah, and in, in, in the, the sad thing is, is Kyrie Irving uh, is really uh, having some issues with a shoulder injury, and Kevin Durant just threw him around like a rag doll. Not sure if that was the injured shoulder or not, but he was so ecstatic by. Jared, Jared Allen uh, oop part of the alley oop um, and he ooped and and Kevin Durant just chicken winged uh, uh, Kyrie Irving onto the court maybe setting his rehab back another month who knows but uh, nonetheless one day all the Longhorns will get on the court together um, other basketball news uh, you, you actually put this one in the notes Gerald um, DJ Augustin becomes the first player to have his uh, number retired at Bishop Martin High School. Fantastic news for a dude we both loved on campus. I'm very curious if they're also going to retire his Capri length shorts. I, I like a good three quarter length sleeve. I love a good three quarter length pant. I mean, really, if we could get like the the baseball sleeves and the DJ Augustine shorts, where it's just like 55 degrees outside and kind of windy, so I don't need the full coverage, but I definitely need some coverage. I know it's just cool to see him like back in. Uh, Back in New Orleans, because he was, if you don't know his story, displaced by uh, Hurricane Katrina. He went to Brother Martin uh, in high school, and then we, he moved to Missouri City after um, after the, the, the hurricane uh, hit New Orleans. And so h- h- him going back home to New Orleans, being honored by his high school, um, it's just super... Uh, Super cool to see. Yeah, I was in New Orleans. I'm a little disappointed DJ didn't invite me. Uh, I think we were both in Texas Cowboys together at the same time. You may have been right around the same time. Um, but, uh, you know, no no, no hard feelings. I, I had my own itinerary of eating delicious things. Um, so finally, we will, uh, we will wrap it up. Uh, Texas track and field legend Michelle Carter was on campus 04 to 07, I believe. One of seven members of the Texas Sports Hall of Fame class of 2020, it was announced. Um, if you don't know that name, what are you doing? Uh, Michelle Carter um, was an absolute monster uh, in the shot put specifically, but she's a three-time Olympian gold mon- uh, medal winner at the 2016 Rio Olympics. Um, she's had some some crazy things. I think she was a seven-time All-American during her time uh, at UT and on the 40 acres, so rightfully so. I always love when we get to uh, point out someone who's not just a football, basketball, or baseball player when they get uh, this kind of career lifetime achievement award. So well-deserved and hook them, Michelle. Uh, You know what? What starts here truly changes the world. And so we may be struggling on the gridiron. We may not have offensive coaches or defensive coaches or whatever, but Texas is still doing okay for itself. Texas, you're all right. Absolutely. I mean, the most successful female shot, put, uh, shot putter in American history. No big deal. NBD. But that's all we've got for you this week. Kyle, where can good folks find you on the internet? Oh, you can find me on um, social media, twitter.com slash Kyle Carpenter. You can also follow the Texas Pregamer at Texas Pregame. You can follow me on Twitter. I am at GH Goodrich. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. Shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. And until next time, hook them. Hook them. Fry sauce is overrated. <laughs>